Hi, this is Privateer Station, and today we bring you day 309 of Russian invasion into Ukraine. As always, done in a conversational format between Alexei Rostovich, advisor to the office of the President of Ukraine, Lieutenant Colonel, and Mark Fagan, Russian opposition politician. Enjoy. Dear friends, glad to see you all on Fagan Life. It is Thursday, December 29th. Time is 3 minutes past 10 in Kiev, 3 minutes past 11 in Moscow. We're doing a usual stream, day 309 of this war with Alexei Rostovich. Alexei, glad to see you. Good evening, good evening. Yesterday uh, we were called the last names about the disconnect and the fact that we couldn't go online. Mark, I have professional fortitude uh, developed over the years, so these comments don't really sway me much. Is your internet all right? Because uh, it comes and goes. There are some fluctuations in the quality of your video. Well, this is war, Mark. That's, uh, I'm thankful we have it at all. Um, oh, okay, okay, Alexei, we have about 100,000 watching us, about 29, click the like button. Let's start with the missile strike. Okay, let's start with them. I'm ready to tackle that one. So, we are waiting for your story, Alexei. Well, we were attacked again. There were supposed to be 124 missiles. This was uh, the capacity of the carriers that uh, were went uh, to sea or in the air. And instead they launched 69. Two of them were radio location uh, pieces. Uh, Four of them, they were shot down. Four of them were also shot down by small air defense uh, systems, mobile systems. It's a nonsense. It used to be considered that these systems are not capable of shooting down cruise missiles. And then everybody was also trying to figure out how come that uh, they were ready to shoot 124 missiles but then launched only upwards of 60. So I'm thinking they're saving missiles. So unless there was a technical malfunction or a command not to shoot certain uh, packages because in essence they actually were going to uh, shoot a larger volley today according to the intercepts and other intel that we had because they were looking at uh, their losses and they uh, there was some morale boosters and all uh, discussions in their midst so we were expecting a larger volley but I'm thinking they are saving missiles so does it uh, tell us more about their stockpile, Alexei. They had uh, 460 before the previous uh, hit, before that last hit, and uh, they've spent about uh, a sixth, seventh part of that. If they will be shooting with a smaller volleys than today, which uh, is easier for us, it's easier to deflect that, to shoot it down, to preclude them from hitting targets. 
Because theoretically they could have load, loaded uh, all 120 plus and they could oversaturate our air defense systems for whatever reason they didn't. Uh, we don't know why, but we do see their tendency to saving. We can see that the gaps between their volleys become longer. At the beginning, remember, they happened every Monday, and now it's uh, stretched out to about two weeks in between them. There is another option that they loaded less uh, because some of them were flying from Murmansk region, and it's a longer distance, so you need to figure out what you load more, fuel or missiles. But in this case, this is a direct result of uh, technical issues they had in Angels Air Base. And uh, okay, okay, Alexei, thank you for that. Uh, so which system was more effective uh, shooting down? Nassim's Ares, Mark, nobody will give you that data. Uh, we are not uh, advising our enemies, but they were shooting different parts of uh, Ukraine. They were shooting the Western Ukraine, Odessa, and uh, I would say overall we shot down about 78% of them, 78-80% of whatever was launched at us. That's an average. All right, thank you, Alexei. We have about 250 watching us, uh, thousands, and uh, 85,000 of you clicked the like button. Now let's get back to the map. Perhaps let's go, go over the map. What's happening at the verge of uh, New Year's Eve? Nothing much is really happening, changing the situation. There is uh, traditional shooting in Kherson, artillery duels. Bakhmut Solidar is the hottest area of the front. It's uh, near Bakhmut and a little south of Solidar and Solidar itself. They are continuing these uh, strategies that they've the tactics they've been using of human waves, and they're using artillery on some uh, parts of the front. That's where we also suffer significant losses. They suffer more, but uh, this is a hard, hard part of that front, and uh, they're wasting their inmates at uh, a ton. Uh, they're just sending those dead men walking. And then um, today also our general command announced that we're getting close to Kremenaya. How far are you? They said it's five. Five kilometers. Okay. So this is a rather alarming story for them and rather optimistic story for us. But this is a Play-Doh country, um, the ground is so soaked with rains that uh, it's very difficult to even move there. So in the next two or three days we shouldn't be expecting any big changes on that front. It's just difficult technically. They also turned Kremenai into the fortified area, fortified outpost, so it's not so easy. Um, also, by the way, in the last uh, launch, there were 11 Shahids, uh, UAVs, uh, the drones sent at us. We shot all 11 down. You should... All, all 11, right? Yes, all 11. So that's that's overall. Shahids, uh, cruise missiles, Kriminaya, Bahman, Solidar. These are the hashtags that stay alive for the last few weeks. 
All right, thank you, Alexei. Uh, we also heard that the ambassador of Ukraine in Belarus was uh, called upon to come and uh, get a dress down in uh, Lukashenko's government, which sounds funny because uh, we've seen all kinds of shenanigans from Belarus side. And uh, now we hear that, uh, first of all, you do have an ambassador there, and second, Belarus is uh, dressing him down. Um, what can you comment on that? Well, you know, that's probably a usual thing. They called him and he came and listened to And our Minister of Defense actually reacted to that uh, missile incident, that the one that fell on the territory of Belarus. Um, they suggested to create an international commission and uh, that should show Belarus that uh, it's understandable how it fell there and we're not targeting anything on Belarus. Plus, there is a probability that Russians shot their missiles on a trajectory that our missile had to fall, the remnants of it had to fall on Belarus uh, after destroying that missile. So, something like that. I have a question, Alexei. In March, when uh, Putin's troops were coming through Palestia to Ukraine, did Ukraine call upon the Belarus ambassador? Oh, Mark, they fled. Before the war, they withdrew all the ambassadors. Now, do you still have the ambassador? I don't know. I think they left and never came back. Um, I'll need to clarify that. Okay, but do you think if he remained, he would be still uh he would be called upon and uh, reprimanded as well well uh probably it's a standard practice but this is surreal alexi so it's a real war hot war on the ground and then the ambassadors are being called and talked down to and yeah i, I just can't imagine this conversation hey it's why is your missile falling in our territory well, why the F did you send your troops? Uh, did you send Putin's troops over your territory into our country? Well, Mark, uh, yeah, that's a surreal war. That's a postmodern type of war. And frankly, I wouldn't be surprised if our ambassador answered something like that to Belarus administration. Oh, man. Um, I even lost the train of my thought, Alexei, because of this. This is surreal. Okay. Um, there was another uh, little news bleep that there was another private mercenary corps similar to Wagner, uh, supposedly called Patriot, and it is uh, sort of arts and crafts of uh, Ministry of Defense of Russian Federation. So now they are in some sort of competition, which one of them is better? That's uh, the piece of news that I saw and uh, that uh, PMC Patriot is also being transferred somewhere to Bakhmut area. Do you know anything about that? Because that was in the context of uh, infighting between Minister of Defense and Prigozhin. Well, Mark, we have about five, four or five, those private companies. They're all different. Um, I don't even remember their all name, names, all of them. Some of them are small. Some of them are several hundred people. Others, uh, like Prigozhin's, they have thousands, tens of thousands of people because uh, Putin allowed him to. And uh, Minister of Defense of Russian Federation, I don't think, is allowed to violate constitution as much as Prigozhin is... Um, 
So they are talking that yeah, there is indeed some private core in related to, related to Minister of Defense, but people are saying that they're mostly retired uh, ex-military or ex-military intel people working there. And uh, one thing is that these cannot hire tens of thousands. They don't just don't have enough capacity. And uh, the other difference is that it's only Wagner people who uh, flamboyantly recording videos, uh, cussing and calling all the last names, uh, the general commander and everything. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw that video too, Alexei. And uh, it was Wagner's people uh, on the video cursing the head of their general command, uh, calling him a, a an F word and yeah, I I've seen that uh, Mark. That was an interesting clip. And uh, if I was the head of the general command, I would probably just shoot a tactical nuke right at Prigozhin's uh, command, or perhaps a Krasnopol missile straight into his vehicle, because frankly the. Military, Russian military, they still have the military intel, which is very strong in these uh, covert and uh, special operations. So I don't know why they are quiet, why they are keeping mum about that. That's uh, over the edge, that video. But I can suspect that this is allowed by Vladimir Putin. Oh, I, Alexei, I think he organizes that. Probably. He, I think, is uh, purposely destroying, dismantling the last of the Russian military systems and is switching it to the rails of the gang language, gang uh, culture. And now it may sound real strange for Ukrainians, but I feel sorry for Russian soldiers and officers sometimes at moments like that. Because back in the day there was a legend about some honor and pride of a Russian military officer. And what do we see today? Uh, the head of command is technically the top level commander. He is the highest ranking uh, member of the military. And then there are two unknown gangsters somewhere on the ground from the Wagner Corps calling him an FAG and uh, all the other things. So. These things normally would be would have to be washed by blood, but what Russian military has to say, we'll see in the next coming weeks. You know, war makes things much easier, much simpler. There's one ask and one answer. Very often the answer is death. And if we'll see them now sucking and chewing on the track that uh, they were wiping the floor with uh, and keeping mom with it, well, that's uh, what the Russian military is now. Perhaps uh, this flows in the same lieu that uh, answering Prigozhin is more difficult. Uh, it takes more balls than uh, shooting up Ukrainian delivery wards. Okay, thank you, Alexei. So are we waiting for uh, Russian military to sledgehammer Prigozhin now? Um, I'm, I've my doubts. I don't think they, they're capable of. 
Well, let's turn to them, like, using this tribune, let's ask, uh, are you guys uh, going to respond to that? Not so much, Mark, not so much the Gerasimov and his office, exactly, but uh, might be the officers. Because earlier, the culture, military culture said that if the head of the command is being offended, then his officers are the ones uh, defending this honor, and uh, very often they would uh, kill the offender or... Uh, somehow punish him, but um, yeah, I'm, I'm somewhat an old school, Mark. Remember, I when I was uh, studying, I was taught that you should never be present whenever your commanding officer is being dressed down. And I had different officers. I had ones that I, I would say they were punished reasonably uh, for certain mistakes they made. But still, I every time I was present, if that was happening, I would uh, get up and go. Because this is the violation of ethics and uh, the lower-ranking uh, officers uh, should not be present during such an event. So this is a little thing you can do. You can get up and walk away, walk out. So even if I was on duty, I've done that before. Um, but again, I'm old school. I follow other honor code than these, guys, these people. Well, Alexei, we'll see. Maybe things may change stuff. Um, you know, Mark, there may be some other changes. Russian military can start shooting up Wagner troops. Has it happened before? Uh, it, yeah, it had. It wasn't a system. It wasn't a systematic answer. And I don't know. It would be nice to see that as a becoming a system that Russian military would be shooting up Wagner troops. But uh, I have concerns that it will not be. Well, listen, so is there a probability that generals around Gerasimov, uh, his uh, officers of his command, uh, might give uh, coordinates to Ukrainian troops, maybe to HIMARS or to some artillery people, uh, coordinates of where Prigozhin is visiting. Here is the place, here is the times. That's where he'll be from that to that. Do you think that may happen? Well, they might, they might mark, but there is a, still, there are some problems that you're supposed to resolve with your own hands in order to meet any level of uh, code, but um, using somebody else's hands, well, that's a, another kind of solution. If they give us that data, of course, we'll shoot up. That's a good target. And, you know, uh, Alexei, us bring up it up here, there are hundreds of thousands, even millions watching some of our streams, so, you know, it might get to them, and they might get this idea. All right, let's turn to them and say, uh, hey, uh, comrades officers uh, of the Russian military, how about you go and follow that advice? Um, okay, yeah, let's let's see if it uh, comes out, what comes out of it. Oh, look, Alexei, there was another news today I wanted to talk to you about. There was a monument to Alexander Savorov and Catherine the Great uh, that were taken out, dismantled in uh, the suburb of Odessa. I wanted to touch on that. This is a somewhat a milestone event. This is a somewhat a founder of Odessa. Do you want to talk about it? 
Mark, Odessa mythology, Russian imperial period, was based a lot on uh, Catherine and Zvorov, indeed. But there is also Ukrainian mythology related to that city. So there is uh, Ukrainian counter-mythology uh, or alternative story about that, that Odessa was actually renamed Hajibay Fortress uh, that uh, precluded uh, Odessa, um, Tatars and uh, Crimean Tatars. And before that, there were Greeks uh, inhabiting the area. So it depends how you count and what you look at. There were settlements in that area before this. And then on Diribasovska, not Diribasovska, but from Duke downtown, there is, you can actually go there, there is an exhibit. Uh, they did dig up the old Greek settlement and you can see their buildings, their street. Um, so, you know, Odessa is a mythology. And Catherine and Suvorov in Odessa is a Russian imperial narrative. So, a uh, right question to pose, if we are fighting with Russian imperialism, why are we to honor imperial mythology? But we do not need Duke, right? Duke, uh, a Frenchman. Cardinal, Richelieu. Although, you know, if, if they go too far, they may dismantle Duke as well, but uh, that would mean that they are developing some new vision of the world and just changing a lot of things. Um, but it's a difficult argument to, res to respond to about Catherine and Svorov that uh, after Odessa is being shot up with cruise missiles and they sit without any electricity afterwards, um, they are not much in favor of preserving these imperial milestones, especially given the fact that Catherine was the one who enslaved Ukraine. Ukraine remained free after the previous agreement for about uh, 150 years uh, with uh, Magdeburg rights and free peasantry. She destroyed that. She destroyed that uh, level of freedoms that Ukraine had. So what is to love her for? Oh, uh, yeah, now she gets flack on that. Reasonable. And shooting up the cities of Ukraine is a similar, uh, one can argue, it's a similar policies that uh, Catherine and her uh, commander Suvorov were doing, that uh, some historians are talking about Suvorov uh, troops uh, killing kids in uh, Prague and uh, putting them in fire in front of their parents. That is very reminiscent of Bucha, right, these days. And Suvorov was the person who started uh, calling down the uprisings of Pugachev in Russia. So, he, yeah, that's how he started. You're right, Alexei. He started with uh, fighting the uprisings. Okay, uh, let's take a look at another news. Uh, what's Politico published? Zelensky, during his meeting with Biden, was asking about Atakum's missiles with a range of 300 mile kilometers and the position of United States remains uh, the same. And here's the quote, Zelensky brought up that matter during his discussions with Biden and United States uh, said they have not changed their stance on this matter. So 
that uh, poor Atacons, we've been talking about it for about three or four months in the active phase, and nothing is happening, right? So do you think we are to see the change of American position? Mark, you mean Atacons? Um, it's okay. I think we will find ways to fight this war without Atacoms, especially if they do supply us with those things that uh, we asked for the ground warfare. Plus, our military complex is still working. Perhaps we can achieve certain uh, developmental milestones and we might build some different some tools that can fly for different distances. And I'm reading the chat here. If they don't give us Atacoms, we can drop Suvorov and Catherine on Kremlin. Let them have it. You mean from the drones? Uh, from whatever. And by the way, they're fresh monuments. They're from 2007. They're new ones. So they're not too historically valuable. And we do have a lot of uh, monuments from the Soviet era in Odessa. So we might as well uh, drop them onto the interesting military targets and the Russian Federation. A, his a historic answer, but uh, that'd be funny. But I think our military complex will find ways to shoot uh, up targets up to a thousand kilometers. I just have a feeling they might. Okay, so in the other news, in uh, Petersburg, uh, warehouses of uh, Enterprise Berek are burning. And we discussed different fires before, but it appears that, again, that some sympathizers of Ukraine are keep build, keep burning things in Russia. And by the way, did you see another video? The uh, elderly retiree, 76-year-old guy and his wife were burning a conscription, a military conscription site. And even when police arrived, they didn't care. They continued burning it up. I even shed a tear. They're so amazing. Yesterday, Mark, they, by the way, gave uh, sentencing to people who were uh, waging a railroad warfare. Each of them was given 20 years in prison, and understandably, they will not serve the full term. Um, we believe things will change faster. But uh, I'm, if you remember, there is a criminal prosecution case against me in Belarus, too. Oh, yeah, you're the top uh, railroad terrorist there. Exactly. So my point is, when the war is done, when we uh, change things for better here, I will come and visit Belarus when we topple Lukashenko. Lukashenko will topple and shake their hands uh, because these are brave people who managed to delay Russian troops by at least a week. This overall northern operation uh, was dragged uh, throughout about five weeks and they literally paused it for about a week. And that was happening in March when nobody even knew if we'll win and most of the Putin's troops and people believed that we'll definitely lose. So these are people who were brave enough, they knew that they were going perhaps to die or to be severely punished for these actions, and they still went and did it. So this is uh, a reaction. There are a lot of people with a lot of uh, beef to these regimes in Belarus and Russia. And by the way, in Russia as well, look, Krasnoyarsk region, uh, that's the Siberia. That's the middle of Siberia. They had uh, another two incidents uh, on their railroad recently, and this is an important hub for delivery of uh, Far Eastern military troops to the front and also to trade 
to and from uh, different goods of China. So you think they, they still are partisans in Russia? Of course they are. There are branches of Legion of Freedom of Russia, uh, self-made, unofficial, but they're still fighting and doing it. And by the way, there was an interesting precedent recently. We got a 19-year-old kid who came from Russia, who figured a way to cross the border, and he is uh, not hiding his face in principle. He gave his name, and that's easy to check. And uh, he basically saying, uh, please uh, come join the fight. He's a 19-year-old guy who is brave and smart. And please drop me that video. I'll put it in our Telegram. He is one of the first troops uh, in the Legion of Russia who is not afraid to show his face. Well, besides him, remember, there was uh, Caesar. I saw his statements. Uh, his call sign Caesar. He was also not hiding his face. Right, yes, uh, there are some commanding officers, but there's, you know, this one is a 19-year-old. He illegally crossed two borders, a Russian border, our border, that was guarded on both sides, that there were landmines there. He's a smart kid. And he's a smart fighter, and uh, he is basically turning himself into a public message. And he said, I'm not hiding, we're fighting. 30 different accidents on the railroads of Russia, by the way, in the Far Eastern region last month. That's a significant number. All right. And uh, yeah, we'll put that video of a uh, 19-year-old in uh, Telegram channels, so please come check it out there. About uh, 191,000 click the like button, we have 300,000 plus watching us live. Please continue posting links to our streams. Uh, make sure those people who need to see that, they do see that. There is a lot of counter-narrative, there is a lot of Putin-paid narrative in the world. Uh, still, uh, if you haven't subscribed to the Privateer Station and you are listening or watching that in English, please uh, do that as well. That is important, that helps us. Um, we also are somewhat slowing down in the amount of subscribers. Um, uh, perhaps in Ukraine, uh, problems with internet or electricity and repressions in Russia, they uh, cause a part of that. In the larger world, please continue sharing and we do need people's support around the world as well. So we are continuing to, uh, we're choosing to continue this work, this effort. We think it is important. And uh, you can find links on the, in the description of that video uh, to Fagin Life, to Alexei Rostovich, and of course to the privateer station. I'm sorry for bringing this topic once again, but uh, it's bothersome, but the war is more bothering than this. Yeah, what's, what's that, Alexei? Do you see that? Yeah, we do. This is Pushkin and Catherine. Boy, bring us vodka, we're flying home. That's a cute meme, yep. That's a cute one. All right, 31 minutes. Let's, let's talk about the action that is going to happen on January 4th at noon, or starting at noon, near all embassies, our diplomatic representatives' uh, locations of Georgia around the world. We ask our subscribers, uh, Georgians, Ukrainians, Russians, Jews, everybody, all the ex-USSR and, frankly, all of the foreign supporters as well, Please come out and help support Mikhail Saakashvili. Uh, 
tried to save his life. We're not even talking about uh, liberating him from prison, but uh, uh, rather sending him to get a proper treatment, to put a pause in criminal prosecutions against him. And uh, I think we had a comment from Georgian president, Zarabishvili. She has uh, a lot of ways, a lot of leeway to do something about it. And basically she evaded. She said that when, whenever time will come, time will come. And uh, mostly it, it, one could read it negatively uh, in regards to pardoning Saakashvili. But again, we mentioned that this is not an internal affair. It, it is not exactly an internal case uh, for Georgia. Those arguments that it's internal to Georgia, we prosecute whoever we want in Georgia. Not exactly. This is a much light, larger case. Uh, despite of all our sympathy to Georgia and uh, Ms. Zurabishvili, she's a good president. Otherwise, this is not an internal case for them. And despite them trying to put it under the rag, we... Uh, with Saakashvili case, uh, we need to warn them once again, you guys are not going to any Europe, to any NATO or any European Union with things and uh, shenanigans like Saakashvili's case. Trust me, I'm getting a lot of messages and questions about that. People are uh, really concerned. So you are not getting anything good out of it. And we have time till the 4th of January to coordinate and to make sure to come out to their embassies and try to push them to not turn a headache into a concussion. It can be resolved easily, administratively, and we call upon Georgian administration once again. So we ask all of you who can, who can spare your time to come out to Georgian embassies. And I'm also turning to Georgia saying, I, I got a few messages that there'll be counter events uh, held near the embassies as well. I'm asking them to not do that. There is no reason to make people clash and fight. Uh, if you want to hold something there, do it on the other day. Let people protest and uh, see the reaction of the world and finally give Mikhail Saakashvili a chance to get proper treatment and to be sent to a better clinic somewhere. Um, word to you, Alexei. I'm in support of all that. I don't even have anything to add. Did you talk about this topic with anybody? No, they're mostly reaching out to you, I think, because you are the main train, the main organizer of this event. Uh, whoever reaches out to me, I usually just redirect them to uh, you, Mark. Okay. And uh, thank you, Alexei. And I did talk to some of the close people to Mikhail Saakashvili. I'm not giving their names right now, perhaps after everything is done. I want to add that the plan is uh, long. The 4th of January is the first step. Trust me, we are cunning and creative enough that there will be more steps if need be. If you are not reacting to that. Well, yeah, Mark, I understand the goal is not the action. The goal is to close the matter, close the subject, right? Exactly. We've been waiting for a year. We are not here for just the action. We want Mikhail Saakashvili to be either released or be sent to proper treatment. He's been in jail since 1st of October of last year. On the 24th of December, he had his birthday recently, and 
he's been there with his uh, health waning in uh, on the eve of uh, new year on the eve of uh, orthodox uh, christmas uh, uh, georgia is an orthodox country for the most part that matter would better be solved okay we're almost 36 minutes live do we have a stream tomorrow it's uh, friday tomorrow right yeah, tomorrow, the day after, the day after, I'm not participating in streams. So three days, right? Yes, three days. On the evening of the second, I might be able to be back and uh, partake. Okay, so you're not going to be with us for the next three days. Yes, that's correct. I need to travel a bit. All right, um, friends will have other streams. Side note from Privateer Station, we're catching up with the previous streams from the previous week. So we'll be translating and posting those. Please continue posting links in your social media and subscribing to our channels if you have not done that yet and clicking that uh, bell button to get our notifications when we release new materials. And thank you, everybody, and goodbye.